Our sermon text this morning is in the book of Acts. I know we just resumed Galatians last week, but this is the last Sunday of the month. And if you've been involved lately, you know that we use this last Sunday each month for me to share with you a little bit more about what the Bible says about eldership. This is in preparation for our business meeting in December when I hope that we can vote whether or not we feel the Lord is calling us to adopt eldership for our church. You may or may not have seen on the four-year table, each month when it gets to this Sunday, I add to this summary of what we've learned so far. So it might look like, oh, this is the same thing that was out there last month. It's, It's the updated version with what we've learned since last month about eldership. So if you didn't grab one of these, I would encourage you to get one on your way out and read it. This is kind of the where we're capturing a summary of everything that we're seeing in God's Word as we go along through this process. So we have a church business meeting the first Sunday of December every year. We've scheduled it the same this year. as December 5th. This is when we elect our officers for the next year. This is when we determine our budget for the next year. And when we vote on any other items that need a church decision, in this case, including this potential constitutional update to adopt eldership. Now, if you'll recall, last December, we didn't have enough people to reach a quorum. We were just shy of a quorum, so none of the decisions that we made were technically official. And we, we decided we would wait until our attendance picked up enough, and we'll have another brief business meeting to make it official, and attendance just never really did pick up to the level where we could do that. And so that's an obstacle, <laughs> Uh, that, that's an obstacle to clear, and I think we can clear it this year. Uh, but there's actually an even higher obstacle. In order to make a constitutional change, you don't just need a quorum. You need, I believe, 75% of our active members here. So, that's, so the quorum obstacle is like right here. We could maybe clear that. We help each other out, push each other. That obstacle is like way up there. Now, it may seem unlikely. I still have hope that we can do this. Uh, through, through a number of means. For right now, one, just will you please mark your calendar and try to be here. Uh, we really need all hands on deck so that we can do this. I, I'm only preaching these sermons and approaching eldership right now because through a very prayerful process, it seemed like time and it seemed best to go ahead, even though looking at things like that, it seems like the stupidest time to do it. it maybe it'll turn out that it is stupid, but I'm praying about it and I feel inclined to continue. Um, that's an obstacle. Join me in praying about it. We'll pray about it at the end of the service as well. If the Lord really does want us to consider this, I, I trust that he will somehow make that possible for us to have the amount of people here we need to have here. But for this sermon on eldership, I really just have one, and it's the simplest of points. Just one point. It's really just a point of clarification. Uh, you might even think, that's too narrow to even be interesting. That's too narrow to even have any benefit for me to have come here this morning. But I I promise you that's not the case. Because in this little point of clarification, I think you will, one, you'll gain uh, helpful clarity for your decision when we vote on this in December. But more importantly, I think it will help you to clarify, maybe inspire you to figure out more clearly what your role is as part of the church. All right, so all that to say... The simple point that I want to make this morning and what we're going to see in Acts chapter 6 is that elders and deacons are not the same thing. 
Biblically, as you study the church as God designed it, you'll hear about elders and you'll hear about deacons, but they're not the same. They're different. So thanks for coming this morning. I appreciate you being here. That's the sermon. Now, it, it's a simple point, but it's worth saying clearly, and it's worth showing you in Scripture why. Uh, I grew up at a Baptist church, and in a lot of Baptist churches, the deacons function as elders. And I don't think that's outrageously sinful or wrong or anything in, in like a moral sense, but I don't think it aligns with Scripture. And I just want to show you that in Acts chapter 6. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and we'll take in this passage together. Verse 1. Now, in these days, this is a time in which the church was first really being persecuted. People were turning against these new Christians, but it was also growing. In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. All right, I know you didn't come in here wondering about Hellenists and Hebrews, the Hellenists and the Hebrews, they were both Jewish folks, but the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. And so by that virtue of that language difference and cultural difference, they were just like different races and different cultures. And so there was friction there. And in this case, it looked as though the Hellenists were being uh, left out. They weren't being treated equally with the Hebrew widows. Verse 2, and the 12, the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So I'll point out a couple of things here that I think would be helpful for us as we are trying to be a church together, and you are part of this church, and you are an essential part as well. First, in a church, things have to get done. There's things that have to happen for ministry to be able to proceed. For them, it included a daily distribution to the widows of the community. In their society, widows were extremely vulnerable. They were economically weak and vulnerable, and unless they had children taking care of them, they were just hanging out there on their own. And so these early Christians banded together and got organized to take care of them, make sure they had what they needed each day, which is a pretty major undertaking. And that was part of their ministry, but there was a problem. If we'll, we'll go back to verse 1 and just make sure we understand the problem. So in those days, disciples were increasing in number. The church was growing, expanding rapidly. A complaint arose. Do complaints still arise in churches today? Yes, complaints do still arise. It's helpful to look back at the early church. Sometimes you look back and think, well, that was utopian back then. It was perfect. It was never perfect from the start. There, there were things to complain about from the beginning. In this case, it arose from the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected 
in the daily distribution. So that was the problem. Now, does Doolin's Grove have any problems? Do we have any imperfections? Do we have any opportunity for complaint? Well, yes, of course. Because we're a church, we're full of sinful, flawed people, we're in progress. Just like every Christian is in progress, every church is in progress of development and growth. So we too have shortcomings, we too have things that need to be adjusted, we too have ministries that we would love to do but can't quite seem to get organized well enough to do it. We too have ministries that we are engaged in but we're not doing it perfectly and we have room to improve. So we're really just like them. It hasn't really changed all that much. Uh, for example, one of our areas that we have really struggled to gain traction for a long time is just in the area of children's ministry. We have a lot of goodwill toward children's ministry. Everybody, I mean, I think every one of you loves kids. Um, maybe some of you love kids in a different vicinity from you than others. Some people love the idea of kids over there. And others love kids right here and you want to minister to them directly. But we actually have a fair number of children within the scope of our church's ministries. And we have a lot of folks right now who have committed to teach those kids, which is awesome. The problem we're having now isn't really a manpower problem so much as a getting them here problem. Uh, but we're working on that. And I'm sure if we could get them all here, I'm sure we would discover another problem. And we would just keep working through problems. And there's other things like that. So in a church, when we are seeking to minister together, there's things that just have to be done. The answer, when there's a problem with things getting done, is not always for those who are already ministering to just minister harder. In other words, the answer when there's, when there's a lack or there's a need within the scope of ministry of the church, it isn't always for the people who are already doing everything to do more. More likely, it's time for others to come in for others to begin to use their gifts and be trained and to, to grow into roles so that we can function and minister as a church. That's the direction they went here. The apostles heard this and they didn't say, okay, you know what? I, I'll work nights and weekends to make sure we get all this food distributed to all these widows evenly. That wasn't the way they chose to solve the problem. In verse 2, we see their plan they summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, this is just really interesting, really just that one phrase, it's not right. Now, would it not have been a good thing for an apostle to engage in serving food to widows in need? Would you not have looked at that apostle and been like, man, that's a, gr that's a great guy right there. He's engaged in some great ministry. He really loves people. But yeah, it would be good. There's a million good things, but you can't do all of them. And it turns out, at least right now, looking at the apostles, God didn't mean for them to do every good thing and any good thing at random. He gave them a specific task and assignment. As phrased here, preaching the word of God. And so, as they gathered everybody, they said it wouldn't be right for us to solve this problem because we would be neglecting what God has assigned for us to do. That phrase, not right, it can mean that it's morally wrong, but I think it has a little bit of a different flavor to it. It's only really used this way three other times in the New Testament. In John 8, 29, 
Jesus said that he always did what was pleasing to God the Father. And that word pleasing is the same word translated here, right. And then in Acts 12, 3, Herod arrested the apostle Peter because he saw that to do so would be pleasing to the Jews who were mad at the apostles and the Christians. And then in 1 John 3.22, God teaches us that Christians want to obey God's commands, but they also want to do whatever is pleasing to God. And so this category of what is right is a category about what is pleasing. And it's a little bit, a shade of difference between just outright black and white obedience to God's commands. This is a slightly different notion of also what's pleasing to God or what is fitting based on the way God has designed things. Now, some of you may be like particular people. Are any of you sort of particular about your stuff, the way your things are? If you open your desk drawer, are things right, like the way you want them to be? I can be a little bit particular. Um, I think Meredith maybe could clarify if I'm particular or not. I like things to be a certain way. Uh, For example, I forgot my watch. I had Elias bring it to me, and I put it on, and it's an old band, and the the notch where I wear it to fit correctly has gotten stretched, and so it's just a little bit loose. I can't wear it. I won't, I cannot wear this watch until I get a new band. Now, is it, it's not morally wrong. This isn't now like an evil watch. It's not fitting, and it does not please me <laughs> to wear it. It's like Martha and I were talking this morning in the prayer meeting about how if you accidentally tie one shoe tighter than the other shoe by a significant margin, some of you could probably walk around all day like that and wouldn't notice. I don't understand that at all. That has to be fixed. And it's not because it's like a big moral wrong between the two shoes. It's not fitting. It does not please me. They need to be even. That's more the category here. It turns out God is kind of particular. Now, you would be too if you were completely perfect in all of your wisdom and judgments on everything. And if you designed the church to function a certain way, you would probably be pretty particular about that setup as well. And so the apostles aren't saying it would be morally wrong for us to help these widows. They're saying that's not fitting. That's, that's not what would be most pleasing to God. He has set things up in a particular way. And we see that carried through. You keep reading in the New Testament. You read on into the epistles, especially 1 Corinthians. You guys remember we spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians. Uh, chapter 12 talks about how God arranged, that's the word it uses there, He arranged the church the way he saw fit. And so he places each person in his churches on purpose and specifically to fulfill specific functions. And the analogy he uses there is like the human body. So just like your human body, it's got different parts that function in different ways by design. It's the same way with the church. The apostles were to focus on preaching the word, not on serving tables, not on helping these widows. Now, the apostles are not here with us today any longer, and as we've seen in months past and represented in that summary, it seems biblically as though the apostles handed over the responsibility of the word to elders. The apostles established the church through the preaching, teaching, administering the word of God, 
to God's people, and then they handed those churches over to the care of elders who oversee the church by holding tight to the trustworthy word of God. you remember that from last month? And instructing in it, rebuking when the church gets out of sync with it. That's, that's an elder role. Deacons, on the other hand, they, this is when they were sort of founded right here. In fact, that language of serving tables is the Greek word, and I'm going to mess it up. I'm not even going to say it. Well, it's like diakonos, which is obviously where we get deacons. It means almost literally table servant. It's someone who serves the, the practical needs of the church. And you can see how those two roles are distinct. So their answer to make the church function properly was not to try to do everything, but to pick qualified people and appoint them to the work. That's what they, they set about doing in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, this duty of serving tables, taking care of these widows. That word, diakonos, that's translated deacon, uh, it's a really active word. Uh, one resource I read said that it conjures the idea of kicking up dust because you're scurrying about helping, helping people so much. It's an active, it's, it's a moving about, it's, an, it's a seeing what practical needs people have and fulfilling those needs kind of ministry. Now, could that just be any warm body? It almost sounds a little denigrating the way the apostle put it. He was like, it wouldn't be fitting for me to give up the proclamation of the word to serve tables, it almost seems like they're saying, we're lofty and that's lowly, but that's not what they mean. And you can tell that because of the qualifications you have to meet to be able to do the table service. So it wasn't just any warm body will do. We do that as church leaders. Uh, we kind of will, you'll hear people talk about, uh, well, that's something that anybody can do. It doesn't really matter if they're a mature Christian or a member of the church or a Christian at all. But here there's some pretty high qualifications for this level of service. Good repute. Seven men of good repute. So these are people that have a good reputation. Looking at the rest of Scripture, that most likely means not just inside the church, but outside the church as well. These are well-thought-of people. And they're full of the spirit and of wisdom. So these are spirit-filled people who have the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life. They're convicted when they sin. They have spiritual power to continue to live the Christian life. And they're full of wisdom. They live according to God's wise principles. That's the kind of people that we want to serve as deacons. When you look at 1 Timothy 3, which is the most extensive explanation of what elders and deacons should be like, there's a paragraph for elders and there's a paragraph for deacons the qualifications align almost exactly except for elders should be able to teach. And that's because they've inherited this ministry of the word from the apostles. The deacons don't necessarily have to also be teachers to fulfill their function. But there again, you see, they're both high-level Christian maturity required, but they are distinct. They're not the same. So two distinct offices emerge as the church emerges. Elder ministry of the word, deacon, ministry of service, for example, taking care of widows, making sure they have food. Now, this is not a legalistic rule. 
In fact, if you continue reading in Acts, you'll see Stephen proclaiming the word. Stephen was one of the deacons. Proclaiming the word, doing something that an elder or apostle might even do. There may be overlap, and that's okay. Again, it's about what is most fitting, not about hard-edged moral rights and wrongs. We want to do what is most fitting, what is most pleasing to the Lord. Is everybody with me? I think that's clear enough. I don't think I need to belabor that point anymore. The note I want to end on is a note from verse 4. So after they make the plan and they tell the the full number of disciples what to do, they say in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We will devote ourselves to the work that the Lord has given us to do that's fitting and proper and pleasing to the Lord for us to do. And that's the note I want to end on for you guys. Again, as you read the New Testament, you see that there is no dispensable part of a church. Every person is essential that God brings together into a church family. And so he may or may not call you into the role of elder, should we embrace that role in our church. He may or may not call you into the role of a deacon or a deaconess, but he has gifted and called you into some function, some service as part of this church family. And I just want to encourage you to devote yourself to it, the same way the apostles devoted themselves to their work. To devote means to attend constantly, to attend to it constantly, with steadfast strength, to keep working at it, whatever it is that the Lord has given you to do to function as part of this church family. Start with spiritual maturity, just like he does here. Are you of good repute? Do you have any corrections or adjustments to make in your own life so that you can be developing a good reputation so that you can be found qualified for roles like this? Are you full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom? Are you operating by your own strength and your own wisdom? Start there. Be growing. No matter how long you've been a Christian, please be growing as a Christian. Our nominating committee is forming and beginning to work now, and they will look at the active members of our church, and they're looking for spiritually mature, spiritually maturing people. And I would love for that to, to, to include every single person that's part of our church, that they're growing, they're growing, they're growing, so that they're spiritually qualified to serve in whatever role it might be. And then, as a spiritually maturing Christian, be asking yourself, what needs to be done? What, what ministry has a shortcoming? Maybe I could help. Or what ministry could we potentially endeavor to do that I could prompt and initiate and work toward? And we'll close simply by asking God these things, asking God to help us to grow and asking him to show us what needs to be done, asking him to provide for us exactly who we need for all the roles he means for our church to have to function, asking him if we should adopt elders in the first place like we are moving toward, and asking him to give us enough people in December to do it, if so. So is that, let's just pray. Let's just ask him for all that, and that's how we'll close the sermon. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for giving us your word. We've received it. We're grateful for it. Now help us to respond to it and live in light of it. And real simply, like little children, we ask that you would help us each to be growing increasingly of good repute, increasingly full of your Holy Spirit, increasingly full of wisdom. 
so that we could be spiritually qualified for whatever work you would call us to do as part of your church. Would you please show each individual one of us exactly what it is you would have us to devote ourselves to in ministry? Show us what needs to be done and let us do it in the way that is the very most fitting, the very most pleasing to you. And then specifically about elders, we are trying to discern and follow your word as best we can. It seems good to continue to move toward a vote on adopting eldership. Very simply, should we do that or not? Please show us. Should we adopt eldership for our church or not? Please make it clear and give us unity of mind in our thinking about it. And if so, would you please, in some way that you can accomplish, bring enough people together in December on the 5th for us to officially make that vote? We just entrust it all into your hands. We're, we're so free and so happy that we can trust you with all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.